for you guys, but we're going to be talking about theft today. Uh, I know for my church, uh, this is a bit of a touchy topic because just this Friday, three days ago, we had a funeral for one of our beloved members who lost his battle with cancer. And so for me, this passage is feeling a little bit raw at the moment. Uh, made me rethink why I chose it a week ago. Before we talk about death, we need to talk about life. So much of life seems to be thinking about the next thing, right? When, when you're a kid, it's all people ask you about when you're going to start going to school, when you're going to start going to kindy. When you're at primary school, you get asked about which high school you're going to go to. When uh, you go to high school, people start asking you about uni and what job you're going to do. And that's when things start to get a little bit more tricky because people start wanting to ask questions about careers and others seem interested in whether you're going to get married and have kids. There's this constant kind of future orientation that we seem to think about all the time. We've always got the next thing in mind. And it's not just life circumstances. Just as we chat, it's our plans for the weekend or our trip away or finally finishing that thing or the project or the, the renos at the home. It's almost like we're built for thinking about what's next. And almost as soon as that next thing has happened, we've ticked it off the list, we're looking around for the next big thing that we're looking for. And that makes death a bit of a problem. Because death is the big unknown for our world, isn't it? It's a bit strange when you think about it. More than ever, we live in a culture where, that, is, that is constantly thinking about the future, constantly thinking about what's the future of the human race, where are humans going, but the very future that every single person in our culture faces is death. The ultimate next thing for everyone is death and what happens after death. And yet our culture seems interested in the future but doesn't want to think about death. Life after death is a massive taboo in the world we live in. A few years back, we went to a terribly sad funeral of a man who died in his early 20s, and three of his friends were asked to speak. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't Christian or religious, they just expressed the worldview of our world today. The first friend got up and said that their friend who died was alive as a spirit in the sky, and he was looking down on them with a smile right now. He got down, and then the second friend stood up and said that, the, that, that their friend that they loved so much, he loved nature. And so now that he had died, he was in the, in the trees and, and in, in, in the grass, and in the clouds, and he was with us now, one with nature. Then the third person stood up and he said that their friend was still alive because he lives on in their memories, that as long as we remember him, then he's alive, and so they've named their newborn child after him so that their friend who died would live on. And what was strange about all that was even though three people gave completely different ideas about what happened after death, no one seemed to pick up on it. No one seemed to say, well, hang on, you can't be those three things at once. At least two of you must be wrong, if not all three of you. When it comes to death, our world doesn't really know what to do with it. More and more, the prevailing thought in our culture is that nothing happens after death. Just, just emptiness, just no memory, no consciousness, no, no anything. And I think it's common for Christians. 
to wonder about this. See, we can feel the pressure of not talking about life after, uh, after death, about what happens after we die. We can, we, can feel the, we can feel awkward about what the Bible says because the Bible speaks really confidently about life after death. And because the Bible speaks confidently, we might feel a little bit arrogant speaking to the world about what we think happens after death. In fact, for some Christians, we can start to take on the world's ideas about life after death and slowly integrate them into what we believe. So one conversation I had with someone who was new at our church, they told me that as a Christian, they didn't think they would experience anything after death. They thought that after they died, they would just get absorbed with God and their consciousness would kind of meld and merge with God's consciousness and, and that was that, that's what they were looking forward to after death. That's, they thought that was a Christian view, but it was not. It's just taking the world's idea of life after death and integrating it into something that the world is happy with. And so what does the Bible tell us about, for the Christian, life after death? Well... We've just read it. Why don't you, can we ask God to help us as we look at His Word? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, as we look at Your Word, please give us soft hearts and give us clear minds to think Your thoughts. Uh, Father, please help us understand what You are speaking to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it'd be great to have the, the, the passage open in front of you. The passage we just read starts with a description of mankind, the description of culture and how our culture feels about death. And it's funny, even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it, it's amazingly accurate. So take a look at verse 13 with me again and see how God describes mankind. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So there you see the, the verse claims that in the face of death, the others, people who are not believers in Christ, mankind has no hope, only grief in death. That is God's assessment of our world, our society, is spot on, isn't it? As a society, we fill our lives with work and friends and love. And when, when we're faced with the stark reality of death, we don't know what to do. We don't have hope. I think we see this in how we often treat the elderly in our society. As a society, I think we've become really good at, at uh, we, we hide those who are close to death. We put them in places, in things like nursing homes, and when there are funerals, we call them life celebrations. I think part of that is to distract us from the terrible grief we have when we face death. In fact, I think the way most people live their lives today the way they make their decisions is all about busying myself now, ferreting away with what I can and what's in front of me so that I don't have to deal with the reality that I'm going to die. Because that's hopeless. That's only grief. But did you notice that there is a basis for hope in death? Take a look again from verse 13. He says... But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, while all mankind has no hope in the face of death, Christians have a reason for hope. 
we will still grieve when our loved ones die. Grief is still there, but we won't grieve without hope. Instead, Christians grieve with hope. Now, this is something we got to see on Friday at our church, and I'm hoping you've seen this as well as, as you've been to Christian funerals. Christian funerals are different to funerals that the world has. Christian funerals don't just look back and celebrate a life. Christian, uh, Christian funerals grieve. They, they grieve desperately. It's so sad, but they don't just grieve. They grieve looking forward. Christian funerals grieve with hope. Did, and did you see the basis for Christian hope in this passage? It's in the next verse. Look in verse 14. Verse 14 starts with the word for. Notice that? Uh, and that tells us it's going to explain the verse beforehand. It's really helpful. So... For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with those, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, the basis of Christian hope in the face of death is that Jesus died and rose again. That is, so we've got Jesus, his historical death and resurrection, they give us reason to hope. See, what Paul's saying here is that at a very basic level, I, as a Christian, and I hope you, I believe that Jesus really died. Like, he actually died. I think the centurions did their job well. That's what they were paid to do, kill the guy on the cross, that's what they did. Jesus was truly dead. And I believe he came back to life. That is, I don't believe he was resuscitated. That is, uh, if, if you have a heart attack and you go to hospital, they might say you're dead and they resuscitate you. That's wonderful, that's great, but that's not resurrection. Because resuscitated people have an extension on life, but they'll die again. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was resurrected, never to die again. And Paul says, that's why we have hope in death. See, if I didn't really think Jesus rose from the dead, then I'd have no reason... To think anything happens after my death. That is, if Jesus didn't even rise from the dead and get a new body to be with God, if Jesus didn't do that, then why, why would I think I do? If, why would I think anything would happen to me after I die? That would be strange, wouldn't it? To believe that God's Son didn't escape death, but that I would, the enemy of God, that I would escape death. That's, that's weird. No, our only hope in anything after death is that Jesus rose from death. So the, the kind of picture I have in my head is of all humanity standing on the edge of a raging river. So imagine a raging river, tor torments of water, impossible to cross, and all humanity standing on one, one bank, unable to cross to the other side. The river is death. We have no hope to cross to the other side. But then Jesus comes along to the edge of the bank and humanity watches Jesus dive into the torment rages of water, into the death river. And for a time there's silence. He's nowhere to be seen. But then we look on the other side and we just make out there is Jesus climbing up on the bank of the other side of the river. And at that moment, at the moment Jesus climbs out the other side of the bank, there is hope. There is real hope because one man has made it across. 
because one man has, then there's at least hope for us all. Although, is there? Just because one man has risen from dead, made it across the river, does that mean it's going to happen to me? If everyone else has gone into the river and stayed there, that's the question that the Thessalonian church were asking. That's, that's why Paul's writing this. So if you read the whole of 1 Thessalonians, you can see that, that Paul has only been with the, with the Thessalonians. He'd only been with them for a few weeks. He was evangelizing them there, and then he got, he got thrown out of town. And they had a bunch of questions about what Christians believed that Paul didn't seem to be able to answer while he was there. And it seems one of their questions was about what happens to their church members if one of them dies. That They were kind of expecting Jesus to come back soon. And so they're thinking, okay, well, Paul's told us this, we're all Christians, but what if one of us dies before Jesus comes back? Have they, have they missed out on salvation with Jesus? It's kind of like they're saying, Paul, can you help us out? One of our church members has died. Has he missed out on being saved? I, I know Jesus rose from the dead, but what, what if I die before he comes back? Well, look at verse 14 again, and notice what Paul says about us as Christians. Look at verse 14. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Do you see what God will do in this passage? What God is, is promising to do? God is going to bring us through death with Jesus. So the, the word there for bring, that gets used, that, that's a word that means to lead or to carry on your back, that type of thing. God's going to carry us through death with Jesus. So the idea here is that Jesus is kind of like the trailblazer. That's, a, that's another word that gets used for Jesus in Hebrews. Jesus is the pattern. He is the, he is the prototype that we follow. So what this passage is saying is that look at what happened to Jesus. Think about what happened to Jesus. He died and rose again. That's what's going to happen to you. Jesus is the pattern. God's going to do the same thing to you that he did to Jesus. Although, it's not that God's going to do a similar thing. It's not that he's going to do a, a copy-paste, what he did to Jesus, he did to you. What, what Paul's saying here is that it's one action. Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection are tied together. When, somehow, when God raised Jesus, God was raising us too. Our resurrection was tied with it. So just think back to that uncrossable river we were thinking about before. And as you look at Jesus on the other side, you notice that there's a rope tied around his waist. And the rope tied around his waist drops down into the river. And you look down at your feet, and that's the, there's the other end of the rope. That Jesus has tied himself to us on this side of the riverbed. Jesus hasn't just made his own way across the river, he's also assured a way for us across the river. His resurrection is the basis, it's the certainty of our resurrection. Again, you can see this in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So did you notice there who God brings to life with Jesus? It's those who are in him, those who have fallen asleep in him, those who are joined to him. So again, think back to that river, that rope tied around Jesus' waist that goes into the river and comes back out again. And across the river, it's like Jesus calling out and saying, tie the rope around your waist. Tie yourself to me. 
Be joined to me. And you pick up the rope and you can feel the weight of the torment of the river (laughs) vibrating through the rope. And you tie it around your waist and you bind yourself to him. Then in that moment, Jesus' future is our future. On his side of the river becomes our side of the river. That's what it means to be in Jesus, to be with him, through him, to be Christian. It's asking God to join me to Jesus. It's saying, God, join me to Jesus. I can't come to you in any other way. I'm, I'm not strong enough to cross the river. I will die in every other sense. And I deserve everything that the river brings. But would you join me to Jesus? Would you connect me to him? And that is the amazing message of Christianity is that God says yes. That God offers us this amazing hope. God joins us to Jesus. God hides us in him And God brings us with Jesus to a new life, eternal life. Just as an illustration, the way God joins us to Jesus is how he forgives us, isn't it? God joins us to Jesus' death and he pours out his wrath on Jesus because we're tied to him. It's he who saved us. It's kind of like that bit in a marriage ceremony, a bit in a marriage ceremony when the minister says, what God joins together, let no one separate. There's this sense in a marriage, when two people stand together, that, that God is doing this magical thing of joining two people together. He's calling them one in God's sight. That's a little shadow of what God does with us and Jesus. A Christian is someone whom God has tied to Jesus, has united us with him. And that means that my sin, my debt, has gone on to him. And his life, his resurrection, his righteousness has come on to me. In the same way that you can imagine a very rich person marrying a very poor person, in that moment they become one, the debt is shared and the riches are shared. That's what happens with us and Jesus. This passage is saying that our future resurrection is so sure, so certain, that it doesn't even use the word death. Did you notice that? We're talking about death, but the word isn't there. He calls it sleep. Just like sleep is this passing moment through the darkness of night, so for those who are with Jesus, united with him, death is like a passing moment as God pulls us through the torrent of the river up onto the shore with Jesus. Can you see the difference the Christian has when facing death? compared to the world around us on one hand we are no better we're no more moral we're no more valuable we're just as evil and sinful and deserving of God's wrath as they are but the Christian is someone who believes that Jesus has been raised and that God can raise us too by his grace that's the hope that changes everything and it changes everything now Because remember how we're saying that we go about life or our world goes about life with no hope in death? If if we have no hope of life after death, then all you're left with is hope in this life, right? And so that's what our world does. It spends its life hoping in the trinkets and the happiness and the mild joys to distract us from the grim reality of death. If there's no way across the river, 
then you end up making mud pies and sandcastles on the bank as it crumbles underfoot. Can I say, this is where I think many Christians get confused when we think about our friends who aren't Christian. So we've got friends who aren't Christian and we, we, we want them to be saved. But so often we can have friends who just seem to have their life together. Everything seems so good. They've got the house, the kids, the family, the car. Everything's wonderful and they look so happy. It looks like they don't need Jesus. But friends, you see, the reality is they've just got a good sandcastle. And the dirt under their feet hasn't slipped into the river yet. And they don't know about the river, let alone the man on the other side. We need to keep seeing our world through God's eyes. We need to keep seeing people around us who don't believe in Jesus as people who are facing the same death and judgment that we ask God to save us from. But it's not just them. It's us too. The Central Coast and Newcastle, Newcastle slightly more, is a lovely place. <laughs> I've got to make that. There, there are some great things here, isn't it? Like, we live in a great place in the world. And there are some great things to do before we're pulled into the river. And, and God provides us. God is so generous and kind. God provides for us before we die. Wonderful things. But we do need to remember that Jesus didn't come to make this side of the riverbank nice. To make us happy on this side. He didn't come to fulfil our middle class hopes and dreams this side of death. The reason Jesus came was to get us to the other bank, not to make this one great. So tying ourselves to Jesus, when we do that, when we tie ourselves to Jesus, it's not a life insurance policy that kicks in when the sand falls away. It's a lifestyle. Tying ourselves to Jesus is tying ourselves to a lifestyle that says, I'm in Him. That's where my life is. That's the life I'm looking forward to. That's my true life on the other side of the river. My true life starts then. And this life, well, it's passing. It's, it's, it's not important. It's, it's actually expendable. That's why Christians are always giving stuff up. Do you notice that? We give up our time because we've got an, an eternity. You talk to uh, people who aren't Christians and you say, oh, come along to church. And they're like, oh, another, mo- another morning. I'm out every other morning. And we're like, of course another. Well, why would you? Well, I can give up time in this life because I've got eternity looking forward to me. And so we give up our time. We give up our money. Such a weird concept for the rest of our world because we've got a better life. We've got better things than sandcastles to look forward to after death and we can't take our money there and so the best thing we can do with our money now is to encourage more people is use it to encourage more people to wrap jesus rope around themselves we give up our sin our need to do things my way our our desire to get what i want we look at Jesus on the other side of the river and the sand falling beneath our feet and we realise that we're in this situation because of our sin and we give it up. We say, Jesus, I don't want to take this with me. I want to give it up. 
This is actually one of the things we find hard. As we go to tie Jesus' rope around our waist, Jesus says, now you do know you'll need to let go of your side. You'll need to let go of your greed and your lust and your self-centered dreams for your life and your career. And You need to let go of your love for your side of the river. See, as we join ourselves to Jesus, we are at the same time letting go of this world. As we take hold of Jesus, we are taking hold of the eternal life on the other side and disowning our life on this side. Being in Jesus doesn't just affect the end of our lives, it affects our lives today. See, because because we're not going to die like the rest of mankind, we shouldn't live like the rest of mankind. But it will affect how we die as well, won't it? When a Christian dies, we rightly gather around and in the midst of sorrow and grief, there's this expectation that Jesus will return and they will raise them and us together. There is tears. In the midst of tears, there is hope and joy. We don't look forward to Christian funerals. But it's one of the things we pray for, isn't it? As as we pray that the gospel would go out to more and more people, what we're praying is that they will become Christians and stay Christians for the rest of their lives, that they will stay Christians until their death. What we're praying for is hundreds, thousands of future Christian funerals. Thousands and thousands of funerals on the coast where people grieve in hope. That's what we're praying for. Isn't that what you want for each other? That you would all see one another go to the last day trusting in Jesus. Have you thought about going to one another's funerals? Every one of those funerals will be terribly sad, but every one of them will also be a great source of joy. For that one person will be another brother or sister who, as a church, you have encouraged and supported and loved to death. At each funeral, we say, thank you, God, for saving this one. May there be thousands and thousands more. That's one of the things we're praying for. Thousands upon thousands of Christian funerals in our lifetime where we gather to grieve, but we grieve with hope because of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, it is amazing that we get to call you Father, that you sent your Son, that he would take on human flesh, that he would dive into death on our behalf, that he would bear the wrath and punishment that we deserve and that he would come up on the other side for us that he would trailblaze a way for us to be with you. Father, that hope is so comforting. It's so wonderful. Father, help us to keep seeing this hope, to keep longing for it. Help it to shape the way we think about our lives now, about our relationships, 
about the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about you. And Father, please hold us till death. Father, we ask that you, by your grace, would bring in hundreds, thousands more people, that they would know this one who died for them and took them to life and that we may celebrate, even in their death, that you have saved them. We pray that for them and we pray this for ourselves as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,